Hi, everybody. Uh, on the back of our recent alternative residential report, Transforming the Way We Live, Taking Alternative Residential Mainstream, we at Osborne Clark are producing a follow-up series of content and market insights for our clients. I'm Jonathan Mills, an Associate Director in Osborne Clark's real estate team. I'm currently on secondment to our New York office, and I'm working with US companies on expanding and growing into Europe. Today, I'll be speaking to my colleague, Matt Kyle, who's an Associate Director in our health and safety team. And we'll be chatting about health and safety considerations and issues for co-living operators in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, although Matt will be speaking uh, mainly from a UK co-living perspective, many of the principles will apply uh, across the alternative residential sector and will obviously have wider relevance to the international market. Many in the industry um, consider co-living to be a recession-proof concept, um, but the current socio-economic environment has led many to question the idea and the notion of dense communal living. Uh, there's pressure on co-living spaces now to assess their facilities uh, and to make sure they're fit to endure our new reality. Health and safety protocols and restrictions on the number of roommates, uh, spacious common areas may both become a non-negotiable for many in the community, just like reliable internet location and affordability already were. So turning to, to Matt, um, Matt, I just wanted to, to get your views on, on what the health and safety issues were that have arisen uh, as a result of the pandemic. Um, both to uh, existing buildings and to purpose-built future developments and what needs to be considered um, both for future and new projects. Well, thank you. I mean, I think the starting point really in respect of COVID-19, as with any other health and safety risk, um, is that you have a duty to look at your business, how it operates, how it provides its service to its customers, and then review what the risks are in COVID, in relation to COVID, what the risks are for transmission, and then from there, what reasonable measures can be implemented to control that risk. So as an employer, business, that is your legal duty. The risk being considered here is risk of infection, transmission of infection from surface to person contact and also face to face contact. So within areas of communal use, the initial thought might be that this is hard to control, but actually measures need not be complicated or costly. Um, and also, I think within co-living spaces, you have a relatively controlled environment and most like, likely a very collective buy-in to promote health and safety within that living space. So really, your role is to facilitate measures and to provide reassurance that the building is safe. Um, so turning just to some practical uh, considerations, you've got to look at how will communal areas and equipment be cleaned, which is an essential part of controlling uh, the risk of infection. So both centrally and also maybe educating your customers where they are using communal areas on cleaning after themselves and perhaps providing extra facilities to do so. Clearly the frequency of cleaning should be increased, but also consider when and how this is done to limit the interface between the cleaner and others. If it's too difficult to manage, areas that are communal may need to be closed temporarily. Uh, social distancing, Clearly, we've all heard about that, and although it's developing a little bit in the UK to arguably go down to what they call one metre plus from two metres, the reality is still that broadly you should be trying to distance as much as is reasonably practical within the particular environment that you're uh, trying to control. Um, 
it is only part of the approach and it is hard and it is difficult to control. But I think where you can come in in providing this service is just to think again about the management of interfaces that may be with staff and your customers or contractors who are coming in to do works and deliveries. Um, so it's really about communication with your customers, thinking about segregating off areas, perhaps having central delivery pickup points if you don't already, making that process more automated. Um, I think moving on from there and very much part of co-living, which is a real plus point, is the idea that you can provide or facilitate good community support. As a, yeah. as a provider of this service, um, one of the things you do have to think about, should the worst happen and somebody become infected and have to isolate, well, how might you try and support that individual, that group, um, but also have a plan in in terms of speed of response for perhaps deep cleaning, dealing with communal areas, putting that information out, you know, and how you do that with the consent of the individual as well um, is important. But I think having thought about that rather than being on the back foot when something happens and therefore potentially exposing others, and again, you lose that sort of confidence and reassurance uh, point, I think is really important. Um, just in terms then of um, thinking about uh, future, in the future, how building spaces uh, might be perhaps better protected to deal with um, if we have another pandemic. I mean, a lot of this is is just thinking again, we are, as part of building, making any building or living space, the idea is that you are trying to design out health and safety risks from the start. And again, something like a pandemic is perhaps going to be much more of a focus now. So think about whether buildings can be better designed to make cleaning easier or to make segregation easier and also the input of technology, which uh, we'll, we'll come on to later. Absolutely. And just on that, Matt, an interesting point you raised there was how the interface with the community and how it's not so much a top-down measure of health and safety, but everybody working together to make sure that they're keeping each other and their community safe. How do you think that might be policed in, in the future? Um, obviously, there's going to be a willingness within the community for everybody to collaborate and play their part. But do you think it will be a condition of, of tenancy agreements, so individual relationships with uh, between the operator and the community? Well, I mean, I, it's a difficult one policing it because you know it is it is extremely challenging but you know i do think having put the information out there provided the education through signs and perhaps you know other communications thinking you know stripping right back to the lease and thinking about well, what conditions might you put in there to cover this you know i, I do think that's a, a very valid consideration um because within that you may be saying well you know during a a pandemic, uh, there's going to be limits on visitors. You might have to think about disclosure of travel. Um, and, you know, it may be necessary to, as I said, close off non-essential communal areas. So you've got to think about um, how in the future the sort of loss of amenities may be dealt with in terms of that lease, um, whether um, you can make sufficient provision in there so it's very clear that if people aren't abiding by it, you know, some kind of, of system for, you know, ensuring there's a mechanism ultimately, potentially, um, to put them in breach of that lease, because this is extremely serious. This is an extremely serious risk. So you would expect um, serious serious repercussions if, if people aren't having been suitably briefed, provided with 
um, you know, reasonable sort of uh, measures um, if they are not adhering to those, that, that there should be some expectation that there will be um, some degree of penalty. And I think on the flip side, it, it's going to be important to consider, you know, where customers, you know, have signed up and expect certain amenities to be available. You know, are, are they going to be offered a rebate and service charges if some of those are closed off? Um, so it's, it's very much a, a two-way thing, but I think it should be sort of upfront um, as much as possible. Yeah, no, that's, that's some really good points. Um, and, and are there any other um, customer issues that need to be considered, do you think, Matt? Well, I mean, I've touched on information and, you know, that is very key. So, you know, you've, you've got to reflect on the relevant and current guidance, which, as we know, can change quite quickly. Um, then it's really, well, what are you doing to make people safe and what do they need to do? Has that be, been communicated clearly? And also have good consultation, um, have means whereby those customers can raise concerns and in particular, if measures have been implemented that may not be working, um, that again, they, they can challenge it and come back so that a problem doesn't brew and escalate, actually, um, you can be as responsive as possible and uh, and deal with it there and then. Yeah, excellent. Um, turning now from customer, customers to the, the actual operator themselves, Matt, I, I assume that brand and, and reputational damage are going to be two of the big potential issues to to be considering and and planning around here oh i mean absolutely and i mean interestingly it's good that you raise reputation because often the reaction is to immediately consider the legal liability which is important and that legal liability may be criminal through enforcement of health and safety legislation or a civil personal injury claim but actually the main driver um, is likely to be reputation. Customers complaining that not enough has been done to make the premises safe. Yep. Um, this can quickly gain momentum, whether it's fully justified or not, and then create some very immediate problems um, for you to deal with. Uh, so, you know, I, I do think reputation is absolutely key, but ultimately, if you've done the other steps, taken the other steps and implemented reasonable measures and communicated them, then, you know, you would hope that um, it doesn't get to the stage of damaging reputation. Um, but I think just perhaps just going back and touching on liability, because you know, we are sisters and it's always it's always a question we get asked, well, what's our exposure? You know, have we done enough um, in in controlling the risk and what might happen? Well, you know, all of these things are you know very case dependent, but um, I do think there will be an increase in inspections and some enforcement actions, certainly in the UK. There seems to be some ramping up of that. But really, I think that'll be targeted at those that have a real absence of measures or else a, a tacit acceptance that they aren't being accorded with. So you've put things in, you know they're not working, nobody's paying any attention and you just merrily carry on. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think, you know, there is a, a really high risk of enforcement in terms of criminal. Um, but it's worth saying under health and safety law, certainly in the UK, it's the failure to control the risk that creates a breach rather than there being a requirement for actual injury or infection. Um, in terms then just of, of sort of personal injury claims, um, as it would be in the UK, um, it's worth saying that COVID-19 is a community virus. So evidencing that the material cause of an infection was something which was done or was not done, is gonna be very difficult. 
Um, people could be infected from all sorts of interactions, totally unconnected with their living space. So it is important to consider about your potential exposure, but actually, if, you, if you've taken the time to really consider all aspects of how your service is delivered and then put in some reasonable measures, then you know, I think you're going to be in a very good position to protect yourself against that. Yeah, no, that, that's that's some really good advice. It, it sounds like sensible planning and communication backed up by being collaborative and, and reactive to the community are, are very much the way to go. As you said, it's a it's a pretty small world at the moment, the, the co-living world. And so you want to make sure that you're doing the right things and setting a, a good example um, for, for your business and brand going forward as well. Yeah, and co-living is, you know, a lot of it is a, a lot of its plus points are about its flexibility and adaptable management style. So, you know, actually you're extremely well placed to deal with these sorts of things rather than some other sort of more rigid residential, um, uh, you know, offerings. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just a couple of final points I wanted to touch on with you, Matt, and this has been a really, really interesting chat. Um, one I just wondered, and and you picked up on on it once already, but the impact of COVID on, on communal areas in these buildings. How do you see the future management of communal areas in light of the pandemic, but also moving forward? Well, I mean, I think there will be more consideration given as to how those areas might be managed and what the impact is of potentially closing them. But I actually think sort of contrary um, to perhaps some people's initial initial thought, you know, I, I don't think the concept of of having communal areas and some degree of communal living has been undermined at all. In fact, to the contrary, um, I think it's important that you know very much the view is promoted um, that buyers can have real, that customers can have real confidence. Um, you know, the reality is that the infection risk can be managed in in a co living space, and as we've touched on I think in some of your previous um, videos it provides enormous benefits you've got community consistency support responsive flexible management I mean personally after weeks of lockdown with just my family I'd have been delighted to have shared my living space with some different people so you know I, I, I don't think this is as I say a real um, a real negative for co-living I think it's actually a, a time to promote some of the benefits um, I think customers more than ever will as I say appreciate community and as long as the use, common use areas are controlled, subject to, to cleaning, etc., then, you know, as I say, I, I don't think this will present an issue, but it, it will mean that there's more thought being put into how those are, are likely to work in the future. Yeah, which can only be a win for both the customers and the industry moving forward, I think. Yeah. Um, one, one last point, Matt, just, and again, you touched on it briefly before, but technology is, is is often inc very important to the underlying business of, of co-living operators and the demographic um, that co-living is aimed at are, are incredibly tech savvy. Um, how do you see technology being utilised to, to mitigate risks in, in the event of similar world events or, or in fact a second wave of COVID? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I if you if you are sort of building a design or, or changing the configuration, I've talked about thinking about how it might make things easier to be cleaned and things. But I think, you know, that the main point is going to be about limiting face to face interaction as much as possible. I mean, the pandemic has demonstrated um, how whilst it may be preferable to meet face to face, it's not a barrier if you can't do that. Um, and I also think technology, you know, 
can be is most fantastic in providing instant information um, and that's what a lot of this relies on so um, you know technology will will be important I think you know it doesn't even have to be particularly advanced you can use what's already there um, you know with a bit of thought yeah that, no, that's a really good point something we always say to our clients is that that functional technology is is going to be the key to to, to progressing business at this time uh, and obviously just one point to touch on for, for people listening is that as the increase any increase using technology will obviously necessitate uh, reviews of, of data protection privacy data management um, models in order to comply with, with local law as well yeah yeah um, brilliant Matt I found this really helpful. I hope everybody else has as well. Um, feel free to, to get in touch with, with Matt or I direct if you've got any queries and uh, we hope to bring you some more content soon. Thanks very much, Matt. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye.